Meditation. 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 Depending on the quality of my mind. You know, there's good days and bad days. I mean, I feel like the waterfall of thoughts. Every now and then, a nice calm. I can't think of anything. This is Meditation in the City. The Shambhala New York Podcast. And I'm Dave, your host. Welcome to the podcast where we talk about meditation in the city. Whether you live in a city or you have a city going on in your mind, this is the meditation podcast for you. Today on the podcast, Natalie Baker. She is a psychotherapist. In addition to being a regular contributor to the podcast in her roles as a meditation instructor and teacher in the Shambhala Buddhist tradition, this was a talk she gave at our weekly Dharma gathering a couple weeks ago about ego, the self, and selflessness. Oh yeah, so maybe you have heard about various theories of the self uh, proffered by Buddhism, or maybe this is new to you and you are just interested in meditation, and hey, what does meditation have to do with the nature of self? What? Well, that is the topic of today's podcast, so stay tuned. Visit our website, ny.shambhala.org, for all of our upcoming courses and weekend retreats. Our introductory meditation weekend, which is called Shambhala Training Weekend One, Feel Human Again, is coming up. It's the weekend of November 9th. That's Friday night, November 9th, Saturday the 10th, and part of Sunday on the 11th. You can attend just the Friday night talk on the 9th, just to get a taste, get a sense of what the weekend is all about, and... You can also do the whole weekend. If you have been interested in meditation or if you're brand new to meditation, in either case, these introductory meditation weekends are a great way to establish or strengthen your meditation practice with other practitioners, uh, talks, discussion groups, individual meditation instruction. It's It's a great time. For more information and to register, click the link on the homepage at ny.shambhala.org. Okay, and now here is Natalie Baker to talk to us about ego. So we have a a bit of a challenge in talking about this topic because we have our cultural reference points and our cultural definition of ego. So I'm just going to get that out of the way here to differentiate between what we mean in Western psychology or just as our common vernacular versus a very particular term in Buddhism. So um, we tend to use the word ego in a pejorative way. Oh, his ego is so big. Oh, my ego got in the way. Like there is this thing, it's like this alter ego that's not what we mean in Buddhism. Or we could talk about Freudian psychology, the id, the ego, and the superego. That's also not what we're talking about in Buddhism. Interestingly, in Buddhism, ego is actually uh, not an object. It's actually a process. 
So if we're really going to talk more accurately about ego from, or self, from a Buddhist point of view, we're going to talk about a process that's happening continuously. It's not a static thing, which is part of the problem. We think about ego, self, as a thing. But actually, uh, Trump Rinpoche, who um, founded the Shambhala centers and also Naropa University, um, where they started a contemplative psychotherapy program to teach therapists how to look at people's suffering, but from a Buddhist psychology point of view. This is the book I'm going to. I'm sort of speaking from this book tonight, The Sanity We Were Born With. It's a mouthful. But these are um, lectures that Trump Rinpoche gave to psychologists and uh, specifically on you know, the formation of our psychological selves and how uh, we relate with that from a Buddhist point of view and from the point of view of meditation practice. But Trungpa Rinpoche talked about the process of self or ego as being a mistake. So I really like that uh, term because it takes away the very heavy-handed emotional trip we lay. So the formation of ego, the arising of ego, the creation of self, is actually just an error that we're making. Whoops. It's a little whoops that we're doing millisecond by millisecond. Just a little whoops. We're just making a slight error. But unfortunately, that slight error has huge implications on our sense of contentment and the choices that we make. So um, self-aggression is one of our most favorite habits. We cling to that, practice it all day long. So one of the things when you're uh, hating yourself or being disappointed in yourself that you can remember that, oh, whoops, I'm making a mistake right now. I'm making an error. There's an, there is a leap that's going on. And maybe I could correct that. And so the leap that we make, as Trungpa Rinpoche describes it, and the Abhidharma, which is Buddhist psychology, also describes it this way, which is that, you know, we have sense perceptions, right? Right? I see you, you see me, that's happening. But we do something really funky with that experience, which is in every millisecond, because I perceive you, I assume there's a me. And then we start this little dance. I want to move towards you, or I want to move away from you, or I'm kind of indifferent to you. Right? And then we have all these ideas that form. Oh, she kind of reminds me of my Aunt Leela. Isn't that interesting? Right? And then we're off in some little fantasy world. And 
all of that is a mistake that we're making. We think that because that process is happening, that somehow it means then that there's something permanent. And the way we create the illusion of permanence is through this ongoing monologue in our heads that we pay attention to. And just like still photographs, right? When you look at them as still photographs, right? They have a beginning, edges to them, right? It's a thing. But then you put them all together, right? And you look at them super fast, like those little books you used to make when you were a kid. You know, you draw a little image, and then he's doing this, and then he's got his hand waving. And you flip the book, and now all of a sudden it seems like it's a real guy, and he's waving to you. But really, just distinct photos, right? Images. That's what we're doing. In, in the most simple way, that's the mistake that we're making. We have sense perceptions, right? And we have this really fun thing called thought. And we put it all together and we go, ah, I exist, there's a me. Now I need to protect this me, right? Now I need to critique it. It's a thing, but what is it? It's not happy. Oh, I've got to do things to make it happy. Right? And we have the story of ourselves. But in its most simple form, ego or self is mistaking that all of these events that are taking place, so we have sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, Right? We have our five sense perceptions, but then in Buddhism we also talk about a sixth, which is awareness of thinking. But actually, they're kind of like those little individual photographs. We're, they're just events that are taking place, and we're mushing them all together, and we're going, ah, me, you. Actually, what Trump Rinpoche says is we go, you, me. Which is very interesting, right? We experience other, and then we assume a self. But then, of course, you're going to say, yeah, but, right? I'm here, right? We're not going to, like, go crazyville here and go, oh, but you're not here. No, of course, right? You can feel your flesh. You can sort of remember your past. Right? But if you really think about even your history of yourself, there's some pretty big gaps. Right? But we don't pay attention to the gaps. Right? Oh my God. 11 years old. Do I have a memory from 11? I know I existed then. Right? But we don't pay attention to the gaps. We just pay attention to the objects. So the object being perhaps a memory of when we were five. Okay, so that's interesting, right? So what we're saying is that this thing I call me, myself, is really just a bunch of sensory experiences plus thought 
Okay, what then? How is that helpful to me? Because, boy, do I experience my life as mine, this thing. If your house is empty, and that's a loaded word, but I'm going to use it. If your house is empty, are you going to care so much about whether someone comes into your house? Are you going to worry about things getting stolen? Hopefully not. Yeah, but they could rip up the wood, and I love the wood. So there's some other way that we might be able to relax if we start to uh, poke some holes in this idea of me. Now, we have the possibility of veering off towards nihilism at this point, right? And we could go, well, then what does it all matter? If I don't exist, why bother? Well, but there's an interesting thing, which is there is an experience that's taking place, right? You're having an experience. So we can't say nothing's happening. Right? We can't go to that extreme because there is actually a path. Right? So there is something going on, but maybe it's not this solid thing that we need to protect and cherish and fixate on and criticize all day long. Right? just relax a little bit. Relax a little bit. Just a little bit. It's very interesting working as a psychotherapist because I am in the privileged position of watching day in, day out, how we create suffering for ourselves based on this mistake we're making. And specifically, what I witness, and anybody in my profession witnesses, is that people come in, they sit down, and they say, I feel terrible. I feel wretched. I hate myself. Oh, well, what, what are you basing that on? Well, I feel horrible. I feel anger towards me. Oh, well, what exactly is that? Well, it's a feeling I'm having. Oh, wow. Well, you're giving a lot of power to what? What exactly is a feeling? Well, it's a sensation, right? I feel angry. My teeth are clenched. I have, like, lots of bad things to say about myself. 
well, but what exactly are you experiencing in this moment? Well, I have this like heavy sinking feeling in my stomach. Oh, and you're assuming that means what? It means I'm a horrible person. Really? Right? So here's what we do, right? We have a sensation arise in our bodies. We call an emotion, right? And then we go, oh, that's me. I'm angry. I'm upset. I'm having this feeling. So I should have all sorts of thoughts come out of that feeling. And why? Because there's a sensation. We're having a sensation that we're noticing. And out of that, we have this huge narrative, right, that we create and we believe. But, you know, if I could snap my fingers and remove that sensation, right, the, that feeling, the pit in the stomach and the clenching jaw and the err, uh, right, if I could just do that and the sensation go away, well, who are you in that moment? Oh, I'm happy. I'm fine. Bye. See you later. Do you see the problem with this? Right? We're very, we're very married to our immediate fluctuating experiences, right? That just change all day long. But then we call that me. Oh, that's me. Me, me I'm, I'm depressed. Oh, me, I'm anxious. Oh, me, I'm calm. I'm worried, right? How much time do we spend totally chasing fear? Just think about it for a second. How much of your thinking life is about problems? A lot. And if we find the origin of that, we're probably going to find some little sensation, maybe in the pit of your stomach, this kind of a quivery sensation. We get rid of that sensation. Now, if your mind is very strong, right, you'll just keep those thoughts going, even though the sensation changes, because you've been thinking them a long time. And all of this is a mistake. Whoops. So I want you just to think for a minute. If you didn't use your felt experience, your emotions, to say who you are, right? So. Just notice how you do that, right? So if I say, well, how are you doing? You're either just going to give me a canned answer of like, fine, good. Or you're going to like notice your body for a second, right? And you're going to go, mm, and you're going to use that sensation. Tired. Bored. A little worried. Sad. And then we completely join with that as me.
But then the alternative is this kind of scary question, which is, if I didn't do that, where's the me? Who's the me? Are we okay with that? We're constantly finding a reference point, right? If you watched your mind when I asked that question, what did it do? Did it just go blank? Did you have a thought? Did you go, well, I think I'm... So one of the things you'll notice that is the most, is the fundamental habit that makes this mistake arise, which is that we're, our attention wants an object. It doesn't like just hanging out without an object, without a reference point. It doesn't like that. Ooh. So when we start our meditation practice, we start with an object but we actually use an object that's in the present moment, right? So we're trying to bring our attention much more in alignment with the here and now. And the breath is a really cool object because it dissolves. It's actually not a thing. So we're giving ourselves a little bit of an experience of egolessness particularly at the end of the out-breath. Breath dissolves. There's no instruction. Just here, in the room. And then you give yourself a job again. The in-breath. So when we are meditating, actually practicing egolessness. Little sneaky thing we're doing. Which is closer to reality. Right? So what is the path of Buddhism? The path of Buddhism is exploring, well, why am I not so content? Right? Why is there this rub or this like big unhappiness? Right? What, what, is, what is this all about? Right? Those are the kinds of things that lead us to a spiritual path. So in Buddhism, what we're exploring, right? So we have a little bit of a leap of faith, right? Which is that there was this guy, the Buddha, who was a regular guy like us, but he did a lot of meditation practice, and he figured it out. He figured out the true uh, nature of reality and transcendence of suffering. Actually, transcendence of birth and death as well. Pretty cool. Right? So there's a bit of a leap of faith for us in our cynical selves to go, really? Somebody could be that wise? But the whole point is actually that there's a path. Not that he did that. Who cares? Right? But that actually there's a path. There's a way that you and I can get from being really confused and not really getting, like, what's me all about, what, what is life about, 
why am I unhappy? Why don't things work out for me? Why do I hate myself so much? All, all these questions, all these feelings. That there's actually a path, and that by practicing that path, those practices, we can actually have what's called wisdom dawn, which is that we can start to get it. We can understand. And it's not so much intellectual understanding, although that's a very helpful support, right? So the support of being able to say to ourselves when we're really digging into ourselves and making ourselves suffer, right? If we could just, in our minds, say, oh, oh, actually, I'm making a mistake right now. There's no me. There's no me to hate, actually. That's an, that's an error, right? So little intellectual interventions are very helpful. And we can compare the teachings of the Buddha and the other realized teachers to how we think, right, and what we believe, right? And we can compare and contrast and go, hmm, what do I think makes more sense? But then also, very fundamentally, we practice meditation. We actually give ourselves an experience. So when we practice meditation, right, what are we doing? We sit down, take good posture, and then we don't really do anything, right? We're really not doing much of anything. We're just bringing ourselves back when we got distracted. So the whole mental chatter that we call me, right? Like, you know, in the distance when you see a swarm of birds, right? And you actually think it's a thing. And then they scatter, right? It's very cool, right? Because all you were thinking, it's solid. But then they all fly off, right? That's kind of our thoughts, right? Our thoughts, they can become very solid. We think they're very solid. But actually, you just label them thinking. And then we place our attention back on the breath, and how solid were they really? Right? So we're having an experience through, through giving ourselves these precise but gentle instructions. And the experience we're giving ourselves is that thoughts are not very solid. We feel they feel important. But actually, we're just labeling them thinking. And then we're taking our attention away. And we're placing it on the sensation of the breath. So one of the things you can ask yourself is, well, where am I in that process? Is the me the thoughts? Oh, but I just labeled them thinking and went to the breath. So I'd, in that millisecond, there was no thoughts. So, no. Is the me the part that's aware? Oh, but then sometimes I'm not aware, right? I'm totally asleep. Does this sound like fun?
So this is another thing that we do, is we do contemplation practice, right? Where we take a question, the Zen Buddhists are so good at this, right? And you contemplate it, right? Where is this me that I spend so much time thinking about, protecting, right? Having all these emotions, most of which are uncomfortable. Where is this me? Where do I reside? Am I in my head? Is that where I exist? My heart? And then the big question, well, when I die, right, where is the me in death? But actually, we're having many deaths all the time when we meditate. Whenever we let go of thought, there's a mini death. We just come back to the boring breath. That's a little mini death. So we're actually preparing for our deaths when we practice meditation. Okay, so going back to ego. It gets more complicated, but the basic principle is that because we have a sensory experience, particularly visually, we make an assumption that there's this self. Because there's awareness, there's a self. Because there's feelings, there's a self. And then we do that thing, we then are in relationship with other. And this is where it gets really tricky. This is where we just mess with ourselves. Because we can't just leave things as they are. Right? We always have to mess with things. And our basic messing is the three basic emotions, which are passion, aggression, and ignorance. We're constantly going through the world in relationship. Do I want to move towards it, away from it, or stay the same distance? And then there's all the emotions that are kind of elaborations on that basic principle of passion, aggression, and indifference. But that whole dance that we do, not necessary, not helpful, not solid. So just like our meditation practice, we can have a part of ourselves that just notices. Oh, there I go again. Being attracted to this kind of person, wanting to move away from that kind of person. Oh, thinking that there's something here to protect and cherish. Being fixated on my thoughts, like they're real and true and meaningful and solid. I could just let it go. So where we're at in our practice as beginners is that we're just starting to just let things go a little bit more. 
right? Not take it all quite so seriously. Because your attention actually has no qualities of attraction, aversion, or indifference. So that's our saving grace, by the way. Our attention has no preference, actually. But we have this habit. We have a habit. And that habit is passion, aggression, and indifference. But actually, when you examine your meditation practice, your bare attention is just that. It's just presence. Presence without preference. That could be our slogan. Presence without preference. What are you practicing today? Presence without preference. Just being with what is. I have a sensation. Okay. There's that skit on Saturday Night Live um, where he's this kid and he just continuously goes, okay. And all these fantastical events are happening. And he's like, okay. We could just be like him, right? Just, just a little, little bit more gap. So the experiment becomes going back to my first question that I started with, right? Well, who am I then? Because this is then when we get to meet our fear. And um, Shambhala training, uh, which was mentioned earlier, the Shambhala teachings, uh, Trump Rinpoche received these wisdom teachings um, when he was in Wisconsin, um, which is pretty cool because these teachings really are for Westerners with our lifestyles. And the first, the first topic that's uh, introduced is um, fundamental sanity, called basic goodness. I'm going to give you the punchline, which is our fundamental nature is sane. That's why we can just sit here and do nothing, because there's actually no fundamental neuroses. So that's the first topic that's introduced. And then the second topic that's introduced is fear. Because those two things go together, right? When you just, just give yourself a second, let's just do it all right now, we'll do a little mini lab here, which is, I want you just to kind of let yourself not exist. You don't have to have a reference point, you don't have to have a thought. There's no me to protect or figure out. You can just be. Okay, who just totally relaxed? Anybody? Just like, ah. No, no, that's not what we do, right? We go, ah. Right, that's what we do. 
When there's space, we freak out, unfortunately. We meet our fear. So a really cool thing about the Shambhala training curriculum. Oh, sir, do you need help? Maybe just take your time. Is she getting you some water? Good. Okay. Shout if you need anything, okay? All right. Yeah, of course. So the, the reality is that we have a strong habit of being fearful. But it's actually just that. It's a habit. So what is a habit? A habit is something that just repeats itself. So we all have the habit of being afraid of space. So that's our challenge as we go along the path, is that we are going to relate with our fear. We're going to get scared. We are scared, actually. We're just really good at ignoring it. And so when we sit in space, and we just let go of the thoughts, right? Because our thoughts, what is the whole point of thinking all the time, right? Is we're trying to figure things out, because there's a problem, we're afraid. So when we label that thinking, and then we come back to the breath, now all of a sudden there's a lot of space. And then our fear is going to arise. So then we're going to have to work with that as a sensation. So it's a good thing to just remember that as you practice your meditation, you're going to notice fear. And that's not a problem. That's a very natural arising. The good news is that it's a habit, but it actually doesn't have any real foundation in what's happening in the present. But it feels real. So then we have to remember, oh, it's a sensation. Can I let go of that too? So if we're going to start to explore this idea of egolessness or selflessness or no self. We're going to allow there to be more gaps. We're going to allow ourselves to be a little bit less interested in the habit of thought. Allow ourselves to just have our bare attention present through our sense perceptions. 
And then we're just going to notice what arises. And notice that, notice when we can keep things as just little risings. And when we mush it all together and make it a solid thing. Right? And you can do that with irritation, right? You'll have just this like, nah, I'm just sort of irritated. Eh. But you can move on. But then if it like arises really strongly, right, and we're furious, right, just notice how solid that feels, right? Or just like in a state of hate, right? And just notice, oh, that's actually a mistake we're making. It's not solid. It's intense. Not solid. But it's much harder when it's the rage, right? It's much easier when it's irritation to kind of notice the non-solidity of emotions. So that's why, you know, on the Buddhist path, they say, you know, try, try not to create upheavals for yourself. Because it's harder to practice when we are in a state of upheaval. We're believing that things are solid when, there's, when they're stronger, right? When the emotions are stronger. Have I convinced you all? You can go home. I don't exist. So we could have some discussion. Thoughts? Questions? We have a microphone. We record this. So if you don't mind, also then people can hear you. If anybody has anything they want to contribute. Listening to you, I was trying to practice this. Um, and I would say the, the biggest struggle that was coming up mm -hmm. was when sensation felt really uncomfortable. There was, a, a, there was some element of like not being able or not wanting to let it go. And that seemed to impede the process of it dissipating or mm -hmm. not being real or so fixated on it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Well, it's interesting because that sort of bumps up against our human biology. Fun fact, the part of your brain where you perceive um, physical pain, so if you like break an arm, it's actually the same center as when you feel emotional pain. So as animals, right, if we have pain, most likely it means we've injured ourselves, which means... <gasps> we might die, which means fixate, right? So whoops, right? We have this like slight wiring problem in our brains where we have like the non-life-threatening pain connected with the life-threatening pain. So what do we do? We fixate on the emotional pain, right? Thinking that we're about to die, so we better like fixate on it. So we do have a few challenges. Right? So that's when, you know, the intellectual understanding can be a support, right? So we can then explain to ourselves why we're fixating. Oh, we don't want to let this one go because it's pain. And we think, ah, I might die if I don't, like, keep staring at the, the wound. But I'm not dying, so it's okay. We're going to be saying that to ourselves a lot. It's okay. We can let go. It's okay. I mean, the fundamental habit we have of 
assuming that our felt experience, our emotions, are me, and that we have to act them out. You know, I would say if, one, if we could work on one thing that could bring us benefit, would be just to notice that we're making that mistake. Oh, yes, I'm having an emotion, so I'm assuming there's a big problem. I'm assuming that's me. But what if I'm just having sensations in my body? And I just let go of that judger for a second that goes, this is bad. Right? Just like, just like try to dial her down a bit. And go, maybe, but maybe not. Right? Maybe I'm horrible, but maybe I'm not. Any ways that we can help just start to poke holes in our solid sense of self we're into at this stage. And then we're like doing this experiment, which is, okay, well, if I poke the holes, right, I let go of thought, I come back to my immediate experience in the present moment, then what? Ah! Right, then we have fear arise. Okay, but then if we can tolerate the fear, then what? Okay, well, I'll add one last piece to hopefully, like, bring you on board a little more, which is this, this phrase, wisdom dawns. So this is a very interesting distinction that's made in Buddhism, which is that fundamental intelligence dawns, arises. That's the language. You and I, we're trained to think that intelligence, you got to study, you got to figure it out, and there's a lot of effort, right? And then you get smart, and you... But actually, wisdom dawns. So you stop tinkering, and it arises. So it's actually through being a little less effortful in a certain way that we actually come to have insight. Insight arises. We don't go digging for it. So that's a little piece to try to support letting go. Because it's when we let go that we can have a new experience. We can have understanding. Like if you think about like when you have the insights, when do they arise? In the shower, right? Just you wake up and you had a dream and you're like, whoa. So that's also why you can relax in your meditation practice. And this is a one part of the meditation instruction from like 2,600 years ago that we suck at, which is that when you take your seat, you're supposed to relax. You're supposed to relax into your meditation cushion. Well, we can't do that. We're like... Am I doing it right? <laughs> like, most of the time, right? We're just like, oh, tight. We're not relaxed. 
So, you know, if you can also remind yourself that relaxation, right, just taking the attitude of like, it's fine, just let go, it's fine, just be. And, and even just be in a, in a state of like peace, like that you could just be comfortable, right? If we were all like a little more Italian, right? And then we trusted siesta, right? Just relax. That we could take that attitude when we sit down to meditate. Oh, I'm supposed to just relax here. I'm not supposed to be uptight. It doesn't matter what happens here. I'm not going to judge it. I'm just, whenever I wake up from the dream, I'm going to come back to the breath. But I get to just relax here. Right? It's not like I finished a hard day's work, so now you get to relax. Right? That's the kind of weird like industrial revolution thinking we have. No. We're on a meditation cushion, therefore we get to relax. Then we could actually, you know, the meditation cushion also then is not the enemy. Right? If we, if we really give ourselves permission to relax when we sit down to meditate, then maybe it's easier to approach it. Because it is hard, right? The things that come up when we meditate, right? Some of those things are very difficult. Scary or painful, confusing. So all the more reason to really think about your meditation practice as a place where you get to relax. As you're talking about the... um, The idea of like no sense of self, like tapping into that, like I can see how that could be very helpful dealing with uh, very negative emotions that come up. I'm wondering um, how that affects positive emotions. Yeah, the ones we want to cling to, right? We're like fine if we get to like be averse to the ones we don't like, but what about like bliss, right? Joy, passion, yeah. What do you think the answer is? Well, I mean, my instinct is that it everything gets dialed down a little bit. I guess the extremes are tempered with this line of thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because we're not we're not feeding the beast, right? So if we're a little less interested in passion and aggression and ignorance. Like, just like, oh, yeah, that's what we do in our confusion. That's confusion. That's confusion. That's not like, just because we're attracted to something doesn't mean now all of a sudden things are sane. No, we're just attracted to something. So we can just not be quite so, but in both directions, not quite so, not quite so seduced. And that's fearful because, you know, we think about ourselves as our emotions, right? So if we're not passionate about something, right, well, guess what? You're noticing you don't exist, right? So it's interesting. We actually already know we don't exist because we get so afraid in the gap. We actually know. But what we don't know 
is that that's actually just fine. It's not a fundamental problem that there's no solid me. So I don't have to be passionate. Find my bliss. Oh my God. Just spend our lives chasing this idea of who I should be to be like a valuable me, right? From a Buddhist point of view, it's a lot of wasted time and energy. You don't need to do this, actually. You don't need to, I mean, Trung Rinpoche talk, used to talk all the time because, you know, he came into the West when like the whole sort of hippie guru wear all white thing was taking place and people were like purifying themselves. And, you know, it was kind of the beginning of the self-help movement. And he was like, nah, waste of time. You don't need to do it. Really, you don't. And of course, nobody believed him, right? And they just kept on working on themselves. But this is part of the explanation as to why you don't really need to improve yourself. Like, yeah, make your situation comfortable enough, if you can, to be able to meditate regularly. But the rest of it's really not that important, right? Like whether you get recognized in your field, right? From a Buddhist point of view, it doesn't really matter, actually. Being kind to others, much more important. So, yes, we have to also be a little less interested in our passions as well as our aversions. They're not that important. They feel. There's definitely a feeling, right? So you can acknowledge there's a feeling, but it's not me, and it's actually not that important. It is going to change. But we get afraid, right? And we go, but it's not. I'm going to be depressed forever. Right? And we just blur everything together and turn it into the solid mass. And that's what we're doing. We're making that error. No, it's actually not solid. There was those 12 minutes this morning when you were eating your cereal and you actually felt fine. Right? But we ignore that, those 12 minutes. And we just think about the depressed feeling we had when we first woke up and then the depressed feeling we had when we got to the office. Oh, but then there was that cute cat video somebody sent us, and we laughed for four minutes, and then we went back to our depression. Not so solid. I had a teacher, and, you know, it was a different tradition, and there mm-hmm. was this teaching that this sort of like, you know, no, no, be with the self, and everything else doesn't exist. And there can, maybe it's like toward the nihilism, but, you know, psychology, as I understand it, and in my own experience with it, and I don't know how it's taught, the contemplative psychology, but there's like holes, like there, developmentally I had some trauma, I had all of these things that mm-hmm. I need to integrate and work with. And I don't know, again, how it's done from your point of view, but, um, you know, I, I'm just wondering like how you would talk about the fact that like there's a, like the healthy sense of self, like that, I don't know this terminology, mm-hmm. how it's used. Yeah, but, sure. It's fine. Okay, so, but, you know, Basically, um, well, how much, how much perfecting of our relative selves do we need to do, right? Um, from a Buddhist point of view, just enough to keep ourselves on the path, really. So let's talk about trauma for a minute, right? Because that's a very good example of habitual patterns that form. They're very, very, very powerful, very compelling. 
right? And really set us on a course that's very painful in our lives, particularly when it's early childhood and it messes with our developmental stages. And, um, you know, you'd be interested to read the six realms um, because, you know, that helps uh, see the, the sort of psychological landscape that we create. And trauma in particular creates a very, can create a very hellish landscape for us where we feel like the world is not safe, right? And that people are not trustworthy and we feel tremendous pain that we are totally terrified by and feel, feels very solid. We have a strong sense of self-loathing, often when we experience childhood trauma, right? And these sensations, very strong feelings, can arise uh, out of the blue, right? We can meet somebody and they can remind us consciously or unconsciously, and then poof, all of a sudden, we have very strong sensations in our bodies of pain or fear, right, or disgust or jealousy, whatever, right? And we're totally confused, and we think, ah, it's this person in the present who's creating this, i got to get away from them, right? right? Because we just automatically assume what's happening in our bodies in the present moment is true and real and meaningful, and so now we're interacting with the world, but actually it's based on sensations from experiences we had way back when. And that's very confusing. It creates a lot of pain, right? So then naturally we go, what the hell? i got to figure this out. I'm, I'm miserable. Right? And sometimes if we try to meditate under those circumstances, it just gets louder. Right? And we can't stay on the cushion because there's too much pain and confusion and whatever. Right? So, you know, meditation practice, as Trump Rinpoche said, is a, a laxative, actually. It's not a sedative. So old shit from our past can absolutely come up when we're sitting on the cushion. Right? Because it actually wants to get out on so, in some way. So from a relative healing trauma point of view, very interesting there's a bearing witness process. So all of these things in a relative way are, are happening, right? They're happening to us. But then the question becomes, okay, but how much work do I need to do on myself, right? Psychologically, through therapy or whatever, exercise, diet, you know, self-affirmations, all that. Like, what's the right amount? Well, from a Buddhist point of view, it's really a Goldilocks principle, which is that we don't want to be suffering so much that we can't relate with our minds, right? That we can't go out with the breath, right? If that's the case, then we need to go and use some relative resources like psychotherapy, sometimes medication, exercise, talking to friends, you know, Having a narrative about ourselves that's workable, right? That's very helpful, right? So it really becomes what are the supports that keep us on our path of meditation, right? If we're, if we're a Buddhist, if we've decided, yes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this spiritual path, then the answer would be, well, if you're finding that you can't sit on your meditation cushion and relate with your mind, right, then something's not, we're not in the Goldilocks zone, right? 
And so sometimes, you know, people go off and do things or they study. I forgot, why do I meditate? I totally forgot why I should be doing this, right? So then we pick up a book and we read. But from a Buddhist point of view, you know, the whole like self-improvement movement is really based on fear and uncertainty. And the best cure for fear and uncertainty from a Buddhist point of view is meditation, working with your mind, working with your fear. It's not working with the projection, right? There's a projection and we're constantly trying to tweak. And the big projection is the self, right? Myself. There's a really interesting study that was done, and then I'm going to stop talking. We're going to have some snacks. Where they looked at the psychological implications of of having an avatar on Facebook, right? So we have the self that we present through social media. And then we have our relationship with that. And it was this study, I wish I knew who did it. And we have this new way that we, new relationship that we just constantly mess with now, which is we, the avatar, right? the perfect self that we are trying to present to the world, and then our feelings about that person who's totally made up. And we're forgetting that. We forget that we made that person up. It's a fiction. And we battle it, right? Which is a really, actually a really great example of what we're doing internally. Only with social media, we've actually externalized it, right? with the pictures we post and the things we like. and So, you know, you work on yourself just enough, but not too much, right? Because you want to always be like, mm, is it really that important to put makeup on space? No. That's what Trump Rinpoche said, by the way. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you know, there's a context that is so radical that you're presenting and that Buddhism holds. It's the first thing you said, I think. And I don't think you're suggesting that you shouldn't do these other things because I think everyone, you know, it's so, you know, interesting that we're living in a time where we are where a lot of people probably do all of the things you mm -hmm. just mentioned and we're meditating. Mm -hmm. um, but it's so, again, radical and... and uh, well, you know, yeah. you can practice kindness. And if you're practicing kindness towards this person, right, that's, from a Buddhist point of view, that's a good thing to do, right, as well as practicing kindness towards others, right? But, but not so much that we're trying to take our projected mental idea of ourselves and make it a reality. That's what we're not doing. That we want to interrupt, right? But that takes awareness. Right? Oh, I have this fantasy. If only I was da -da, then, right? <gasps> then I could like myself. Then I'd know I'm okay, right? That's why it's also really important not to judge your meditation practice because it's a projection. <gasps> oh, a good meditator does this. Then I can go thumbs up. But we just totally made that shit up. So we can have uh, more discussion over the, the snacks. Thank you all for coming.
And what is the nature of the self that enjoys snacks? Thank you, Natalie Baker. Thank you all for listening to the podcast. Thanks for telling your friends about it. We like it when you spread the word. Email us at podcast at shambhalanyc.org. Your questions, comments, suggestions. If you live in a different city, there's probably a Shambhala Meditation Center near you. But if you are in the New York City area, our weekly Dharma gathering is every Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. You can hear these talks live and in person. It's a great time. And of course, visit our website, inmind.shambhala.org, for all of our upcoming courses and weekend retreats. Later. <laughs>